Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, everybody. Happy Monday here in Penguins land. Andrew Destin joined by Matt Benson. We're coming to you right after Monday's practice here. Um, not a terribly newsy one in terms of injury updates or anything like that, but certainly some interesting things that Mike Sullivan said that we're going to get to here. Um, but before we do that, uh, we want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. There's no better place to get new windows and doors installed in your home than Pella. We can help you save on energy costs year-round. Schedule a free in-home consultation with your local Pella Windows and Doors to find the right product for your home and budget. Give us a call at 866-593-1560 to discuss your project further. That's 866-593-1560 to get started planning on your new windows and doors installation with Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. All right, Matt, you asked the question that prompted the response from Mike Sullivan talking about consistency. Uh, that seemed to be a pretty big theme after Monday's practice in light of the Penguins uh, dropping one that wasn't particularly competitive against the Blues in St. Louis. Um, and you asked about the line combinations, which mostly, aside from one or two switches, uh, have stayed pretty constant this year. Um, is that the right message to this team right now? And, uh, you know, t- talk us through, I mean, what prompted that question? What exactly um, are you seeing from this team five games in on that note? Well, I just think whenever the team has a bad loss, especially when the head coach is is clearly frustrated with the team after that game, that, you know, a lot of fans expect the Lions to be put into a blender. And we've seen it sometimes with Mike Sullivan in this situation. Um, he will make drastic changes to the lineup. There's also been times where he hasn't. And today was one of those days. And, you know, I think his point was, look, it's, it's early in the season. Um, we're not going to overreact. We're not going to panic. But we do recognize that there are some things we need to clean up. And, um, you know, he talked about consistency. But, I mean, I think the big thing is, like, decision-making, consistency to decision-making. And it's the constant tug of war with this team, a skilled group, um, a bunch of guys who have scored a lot of goals um, who want to, you know, take some chances. And we saw in that St. Louis game where the Pens had the puck in the offensive zone for far more um, time than the Blues, but it was the odd man rushes the Penguins gave up that did them in in that game. So, um, yeah, it's not surprising to see he didn't change up the lines because, you know, this is kind of the – you know, these uh, issues kind of permeate throughout the lineup. It's not just one line that needs to be dismantled. So I think that's kind of why Sullivan stuck with it and just trying to get early season chemistry and continuity going with some of these lines here. With that, you kind of bring up the note of it being an issue that permeates throughout the lineup. Um, That kind of brings me to a point that I was going to make it later on, but probably should bring up just now. Um, With the added depth, you know, we've talked about it both on this podcast and within our writing about um, the enhanced depth in Wilkes, um, you know, how they brought in a bunch of forwards to try and improve the bottom six. Um, 
you know, with some of those issues that permeate, are you surprised at all that maybe there hasn't been more radical change? I know it's only five games. Is that something that we should anticipate in terms of, you know, more guys getting shuffled up and down between Wilkes and here, being aggressive with waivers, like Kyle Dubas has said? Um, is that something we should anticipate, or is more of this consistency, even-keeled approach something that probably is on uh, on deck for the next week or two? Well, I mean, to be clear, I mean, a lot of the the issues with turnovers and chasing goals and odd man rushes are by their top players. So I, yeah. I feel like that needs to be put out there. I mean, it, you know, when I said it permeates, I mean, it does start with those guys. But in terms of drastic changes, I mean, well, one, they're, they're, they're limited by the salary cap at this point. Um, you know, I think Kyle Dubas pulled off, you know, in a pretty incredible trade to get Eric Carlson and get rid of a few players with bloated contracts. But, um, you know, Carlson still has a massive cap hit and this team is right up against the cap. They can't even carry uh, a 13th forward right now because they don't want to lose one of Ludwig or Shea or P.O. on waivers. So, you know, there, there's limitations of what they can do. And, um, you know, also like realistically, how many guys can they shuffle off the roster if they really wanted to make changes. I mean, Jeff Carter's not going anywhere, obviously, like they committed to multi-year contracts for Achari and Eller. And so I, I think they have to work with this group. And then once we see injuries set in, or if there are some individual players who true are really poorly performing, then maybe you can shuffle things up. But, you know, in terms of the roster limitations, I mean, this is largely the group the team has. And, um, you know, we're talking about maybe, you know, shuffling through, you know, two or three lineup spots throughout the season with the guys that are in Wilkes and the guys that are here. Yeah. So given that kind of offensive-driven identity, I know both Sullivan, Dubas, you know, others have talked about how that's the, you know, the uh, identity of this team, right? That's what it's predicated on. Some of those challenges, the things that in St. Louis plagued them with the odd man rushes with dominating offensive uh, possession zone time, but it's still coming back to bite them. I mean, how much is that something that can be truly changed or is this just something that you can – say in the public of we need to be better about not letting up those kinds of rushes is that something that's kind of an inevitable byproduct of being so offensively driven or can you have your cake and eat it too and this team can uh, overcome those things we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night ember hot and icy cold the rage of the earth we made this curse Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Well, sure, yeah. I mean, they can they can play more responsible. The question is, do the, do the players want to do that? Can they consistently do it game in and game out? Um, you know, we saw with this core group and, you know, a lot of the guys who have, you know, guys like Rust and Gensel, guys like who aren't considered the core three, but have been here a long time. I mean, you know, for years, the team would kind of go through spurts of that during the regular season, knowing they still were going to find a way to get into the playoffs. And then last year, finally, was the year where they didn't get in the playoffs. So, you know, we'll see if that's a wake up call. I mean, I, you know, I don't think I think the Penguins are right not to overreact to, you know, one game or three games or five games the season's still early but they do need to have that urgency and that discipline because they can't afford to give away a handful of games every year especially with where the team is now uh, in its life cycle they can't afford to give away several games every year just because they're kind of lax when it comes to 
you know, puck management type stuff and odd man rushes. So, you know, I think it, it's smart of Sullivan to get on it now and try to nip it in the bud, but that's easier said than done because he can only do so much. I mean, obviously um, he can do a little bit in terms of holding the players accountable, but, you know, a lot of these guys are longtime NHL veterans, guys who have scored a lot of goals or won a lot of cups. And, um, you know, ultimately it's up to them to make the smart decisions consistently. Um, and we see a guy like Crosby do it, but, um, you know, others have not. Right. And uh, with that line, you know, he was pretty complimentary of those top two lines, even so, given some of those issues that maybe have resonated um, with Malkin's line, with Crosby's line, um, with both those guys. Um, I, I guess I, I kind of asked it earlier, but is that the right message, you know, versus lighting a fire under guys by switching it up with this group? I mean, I, I asked just because, you know, there have been the compliments about the top line. The top six has been doing what has been asked of them. Um, that that isn't maybe a group that needs to be broken up to make more balanced scoring, things like that. I mean, not to make you put your head coach cap on, but is this the approach that you would do versus what Sullivan is saying here publicly? Well, I mean, I don't even look at it as a motivation thing. I mean, again, this is a veteran team. I mean, he could come in and shuffle lines. I mean, these guys know that they didn't play well in St. Louis. And, um, you know, I don't think this is the kind of the age of a group that needs a wake-up call this early in the year. I mean, I think the more realistic thing is like, what could the coach do with the lineup that would be that much different or should he do? I mean, the, the top six has been really good. You know, the Malkin line has been one of the league's best lines all season. Um, you know, wh what's, what does he achieve by taking Raquel off that line, for example? I mean, the bottom six, obviously they're not scoring. We finally saw Redeem Zahorna get a goal last game. It was the first goal from the bottom six all year. Um, but there's only so much you can do there. And, and with that third line actually looking good with Zahorna there, why wouldn't you want to try to keep that going? So there's only so much you can do right now with the combinations they have. And, um, you know, maybe they get to the point where they don't find the right answers on the third line and they're not getting enough scoring from the bottom six that they have to consider moving a guy like Rust or Raquel down. But, you know, based on what we've seen through five games in terms of how the, you know, the top two lines and top two pairs are playing, um, I wouldn't want to tinker with that. And then, you know, the options are pretty limited if you're talking about making changes around that. Right. You um, bring up Brian Raquel not being switched up in terms of what lines they're on for the first and second line, um, respectively there. But um, what we saw today in practice uh, here Monday, um, saw that Rust and Raquel were switched on the top power play units. Rust taking Raquel's spot with the top group and uh, Raquel dropping down to the second unit. Um, you know, not entirely clear yet whether there's something that will stick for Tuesday's game against Dallas and beyond that in this homestand. But um, is that, you know, that kind of switch right now? We've seen Sullivan do it where he's tinkering the two. Uh, with you know the first and the second lines, we've seen him do it now with the power play. Uh, potentially, um, is this something that should be looked into uh, very deeply, or is this just another example of Selvin making a slight switch between two guys who bring different elements, but the core of the power play remains intact? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the latter. I mean, this isn't a drastic change to the power play unit, uh, but Raquel and Rust do bring different things to the table. I mean, Rust. Um, you know, his, his finishing kind of comes and goes. Right now he's hot. He has four goals through five games. Um, but also it's puck retrieval. That's a big thing with just loose pucks, being able to get to those pucks, kind of maintain possession, get energy that way. Um, you know, I think he helps there. Whereas when Raquel's on the unit, he maybe he's a little bit more deliberate, um, almost seems like nonchalant. But then not to say he's not trying, but just he has kind of a coolness about him. Um, you know, maybe more of a skilled passer than Rust. Um, so kind of different characteristics, but it's clear they wanted to change something up. Um, you know, I do think as they lean more into motion, 
uh, and moving around the positional interchangeability and the power play, I think that's maybe a little bit more natural for Rust um, to just kind of play and react as opposed to Raquel. But I don't know. I mean, you look at the process stats for the power play, and I feel like we have this conversation like 10 times a year when the power play is not clicking. Like we get numbers from Sports Logic or Sport Logic. I mean, you know, they say the Pens have begun on entries. They say they're getting a lot of shots from the slot on the power play, a lot of passes inside on the power play, but the finishing isn't there. So it's kind of like the story of this Penguins power play uh, over the last five years. But, I mean, you know, we're talking about the second and third game of the season, which was a week ago, the power play looking great. Um, so here we are two games later. I, I don't know that we need to make sweeping changes to this unit here, but um, – you know, I, I think this is a sensible switch just with the way Russ is going and the fact that maybe he can bring a little bit more puck retrieval and a shooting mentality to the top power play. Right. And maybe the type of switch that the same way we've seen the last few years that easily can, you know, reverse course on it and go back to Raquel on the top unit and say a week from now, two weeks from now, something that's very much um, still in play. Um, so one thing we haven't touched on yet with the podcast, and I know you and I have both written about this at various junctures about the different defensive pairings, um, but, you know, very different results so far. The on-ice results uh, for the graves Tang pairing have been okay. The Carlson-Pedersen ones have been great. But the advanced metrics kind of tell different stories, both one uh, in favor of the Carlson-Pedersen one and the Latang graves pairing has, you know, maybe been a little bit subpar so far. Um, just based on the eye test, um, you know, with what we've been talking about with consistency uh, from Sullivan, him bringing up that point keeping those four together. That's obviously not something that's going to be broken up either of those pairings, but um, consistency, I bring that up just to say that, is this something that's going to take more time for Graves and Latang to figure this out? Or is this something that should be a legitimate cause of concern, do you think, for Penguins fans? Well, it's five games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think people should be too freaked out. I mean, if we're talking about Graves and Latang specifically, I mean, with Graves, it's it's a new system. I actually was talking to him earlier today. I know you talked to him for a story, probably said some of the same things as well. But it's a new system. He said there's a lot more structure than what he's used to. And you could tell, especially the first two, three games for Graves, with the puck, he looked very tentative, um, you know, kind of thinking too much. Oh, should I pass it to Chris? Or is this play there? What do they want me to do? And we see that a lot with new players that come in. We saw it with Mike Matheson. Um, for example, uh, three years back, I think it was, he really struggled out the gate in his first year with the Penguins. And then he found his footing and was became a pretty good player for the Penguins. So, you know, I wouldn't worry too much about that. I mean, I think in terms of that pair, they make a lot of sense on paper um, with Graves being a steady, stay-at-home type and being able to kind of cover up for Latang. It's just going to take time for them to gel and for – Graves to find his footing. I mean, the really the only switch you could see them make, and I don't think we're going to see it anytime soon, was just, you know, flip-flopping Pedersen and Graves. Um, but mostly we're talking about these four guys who are going to be out on the ice for 70, 80% of the game and then just trying to hold on for dear life when the third pair is out there. Right. And it's, yeah, to switch up those guys, given you know, what we're talking about here, for as good as Carlson and Pedersen have been, to break that up seems feel foolish and create another thing that would be an obstacle for Graves to have to overcome as he continues to get up to speed with a new team. It feels like a, a lot to throw onto a guy's plate. Um, you mentioned that third pairing briefly. Um, that's one group that has changed, right? Because BOJ got the first four games. Ryan Shea makes his NHA de NHL debut in the fifth. It's not one that we see out on the ice a lot, but it's one that is of interest because of you know how it struggled against Detroit and how it's one that needs to be strong defensively when it is on the ice in a limited capacity 
hasn't really been the case so far. Um, is that one that, um, you know, maybe not cause for concern, but um, is this something that we'll see that, you know, Sullivan's going to be constantly switching that third pairing to try and get something that is responsible defensively? Or is this a matter of uh, Joseph maybe isn't playing at his best right now and it's going to take time for him to eventually get back into the lineup because that's who they want to move with? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think like, I don't know if concern is the right word, but I mean, this is a weak spot of the team. We know going into the season that um, the very bottom of the depth chart is a concern. And that's, you know, the case in the blue line. I mean, Chad Ruedel has had, um, you know, he's been a really solid player for the Penguins, but ideally he's a guy who isn't in your lineup just because you have a better option there. Um, I know Chad was, you know, the, the target of the fan base after the game in Detroit where, um, you know, it was a rare game where he was a, a glaring liability. Usually he's he's a steadier player. But I do think this is something we will see shuffling. And um, you look at – I mean, just look at the roster right now. Um, you know, Ryan Shea made the team. They grabbed John Ludwig off waivers. And, and basically they're going with 12 forwards right now because they want to get a long look at him and Shea and figure out exactly what they have there. You know, we saw P.O. come out of the lineup and there's options down in Wilkes, too. So this is one area where we could see that shuffling with guys going on waivers if they aren't performing. You know, I think with P.O. in particular, um, you know, he's not really a prospect anymore. I mean, he was a rookie last year. He's what, 24 years old. If he's not 24 now, he will be soon. Um, and it's kind of sink or swim time in terms of his development. So I do think with that third pair is one area where it's going to be performance based and whether that's Shea or Ludwig or, um, you know, Ruedel or somebody down in Wilkes, Ty Smith. I mean, um, if guys aren't playing well, I, I think this is one area where we could see one area where we could see Mike Sullivan and Kyle Dubas, you know, shuffle the deck trying to find answers because we're talking about a bunch of guys who are all, um, you know, making about the same amount of money and, um, you know, and there's a reason for that. You bring up Joseph and how he's not really a prospect anymore. This is kind of go time for him. Um, last year showed a lot, right? It was a career high for games, a bunch of different stats across the board. Um, they gave him runway and different opportunities, whether that was quarterbacking a power play unit, you know, the second one, stuff like that. Um, what do you think has been, I don't want to say regression because it is such a small sample size, but, you know, the start of the season for Joseph you know, really didn't go as intended. Um, you know, what do you, what have you kind of seen in his game? Is it too small a sample size to garner anything, or is there, you know, something different in him right now that we're seeing versus last year in a much larger sample size? Well, I thought he had a pretty good camp in preseason. I mean, unlike a year ago when he was fighting for a job and he clearly let that get to him, he seemed pretty steady and at peace and, and comfortable during camp and, and preseason and then the game started and he struggled and I do think this is a player um, you know whether it's a mental thing a confidence thing or otherwise where he can let things snowball um, you know he very much wants to be a good player and I, I think he realizes when he's struggling and maybe he presses a little bit too much um, so I do think that's a factor there um, but I mean I, I kind of think he is who he is as a player at this point I mean he's a, a pretty good puck moving defenseman you know, obviously his lack of strength um, and physicality is well documented. He has to overcome it with his skating and his long reach and, you know, savvy decision making. But, you know, I, I think this kind of who he is who he is. That's not to say he couldn't, you know, take more steps in development. Um, you know, but right now he's a guy who you don't see him play in either um, special teams unit. Um, you know, I think that's a factor as well in terms of who's in the lineup. They, they trust Ryan Shea. 
a little bit to kill penalties, not so much PO. And with Latang being on the second power play, you know, that takes, you know, more time, another roll off PO's plate. Um, so I think all these things kind of add up to, to why Solomon would, you know, kind of make that change and give Shea a, a shot. And, you know, we'll see if Ludwig is the next guy who gets an opportunity should, should Shea stumble. Yeah, both those guys, Shea and Ludwig, getting opportunities on their offside too in practice. And um, Shea, you know, was on that left side, obviously, with Ruedel. But that's certainly something to monitor too is, you know, is Ruedel the guy who constantly gets every single start or gets to play in every game on that right side of the third pairing? Uh, definitely one we got our eyes on. Uh, one more topic to get into, but before we do that, I want to bring, bring up that the Great Yinzer Tailgate is bringing the best of the Berg to South Point on November 4th, showcasing Pittsburgh's rich culture, iconic sports history, and vibrant community spirit. The Great Yinzer Tailgate will immerse you in a unique blend of traditions that make Pittsburgh legendary. Visit www.thegreatyinzertailgate.com for details. See uh, Yins there. Uh, our last point I want to bring up, just talk about the net mining a little bit with Tristan Jari. Um, we've kind of discussed it here about how those odd man rushes, there were a lot of opportunities against St. Louis that were difficult saves for Jari to have to make. Um, it's four games into it. That's perhaps as good of a sample size as we can garner from any goalie of any team in the league at this point in the season. Um, with Jari, um, he's certainly somebody who is a lot of, on a lot of people's minds because of the contract he signed over the offseason. Um, what have you kind of garnered from him? You've seen him uh, play in two of the four games live, including that one in D.C. when he perhaps looked at his best. Um, what have you kind of seen from Tristan here early in the season? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of the same that we've seen from him. I mean, he's a goalie who can get hot and go on a roll and, and really take over games and put up some pretty impressive numbers. And then there's large stretches where he's, you know, an average goalie. And I think that's kind of what he's been so far. Um, you know, I don't think he's like killed the Penguins in any game. I mean, maybe you could argue in the first game against Chicago, um, you know, he could have made a save or two there in the third period as the Penguins blew that lead. Um, but he also hasn't been, been stealing games for them. I mean, the shutout he got in Washington, he played pretty well, but, um, you know, the team played great in front of him, really limited the chances. So, again, small sample size, but you do want to see more from Tristan. And, and you know, as he plays more starts and kind of gets his footing, maybe he'll go on one of those rolls that we, you know, typically see every November um, December and he really gets hot. Um, in the meantime, um, you know, we may see uh, Nadelkovic mix in a little bit more. I, I thought he played well in his one game. Uh, he figures to get one of these starts here in Pittsburgh for this four game homestand, maybe even two. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting balance, especially if, you know, they're playing some tough opponents here. If they drop a couple games, is it already time for Sullivan just to play the the goalie he thinks playing best right now, as opposed to trying to get Tristan ramped up. So it's all a lot of stuff to for them to kind of sort through. But you know, I do think you know Tristan can be better, and I'm sure he would tell you that as well. But I don't think he's been like he didn't he didn't cost them the game in St. Louis. That's for sure. Right, figures to get most of the starts, but like you said, Nedeljkovic got to figure he gets at least one of these four. Um, the Penguins play four games in seven days, all at home here in Pittsburgh with the Dallas Stars and Colorado oh, Avalanche leading things off, two of the best teams in the Western Conference, and then the Ottawa Senators and Anaheim Ducks coming in on Saturday and Monday to round out the seven-day uh, period. Um, this is kind of an important stretch, it feels like, for the Penguins, not just because of what's on deck with it being a three-game road trip to the West Coast, which can always be difficult coming up after that, um, but two teams to really prove their mettle against here in Dallas and uh, Colorado. Uh, 
is this a homestand to really look into as a serious one, or is it still too early in the season to, you know, use caution if, say, they drop these first two against two pretty good teams? It wouldn't be ideal if they lost these games at home, that's for sure. I mean, there's ebbs and flows to the season, but I do feel like this as a team is, is, you know, as much as they had a new energy after all the moves they made and Kyle Dubas coming in and the Carlson trade, I mean, it seemed like everybody was refreshed and refocused. Um, You know, I still think it's a delicate portion of the season for this team, especially considering how last year played out. So, um, you know, it's like, are these games must win? Yes or no? I, I, I mean, it's it's way too early in the season, but I do think they need to put a game on the ice that they feel good about um, and build some confidence and build continuity and chemistry. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if they go two and two and they play pretty well and there's no clunkers in there, I, I still would say that's a successful road trip or a, a homestand. I'm sorry, uh, especially given the opposition. Um, but yeah, it's probably too early to to get too worked up about it unless they lay some eggs and go, you know, one and three or zero and four at home. Right. Well, certainly a homestand to keep our eyes on, just given the cal- caliber of play coming in, and also uh, given everything you just mentioned there about the backdrop with which these games are taking place. Um, that's going to do it for our weekly chat here about the Penguins. We'll come back to you guys again at the tail end of this home stretch. In the meantime, keep up to date with all the rest of our Post-Gazette Sports Channel uh, videos, and we will catch you all again next time. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette.